Hello, Mom. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. If you're joining us from maybe the, the Beller campus or the Edgewood campus or the Abingdon campus or Mountain Road campus or online, glad you're here. Hey, uh, it was a long time ago, uh, freshmen uh, were gathering for an introductory speech class. Uh, the professor was an old uh, man, and he was a Christian, which was kind of unusual in that university setting. And everybody who knew him considered him kind of a gentleman and uh, someone who really cared about his students. He was doing an exercise where everyone had to go around the room and tell something they liked about themselves and something they didn't like about themselves. As they're going around the room, there was a girl in the back row. Her name was Dorothy. She was sitting there. She had beautiful red hair, but it was kind of covering half of her face like she was trying to just almost just disappear. And when it came around to Dorothy, there was only silence in the room. She didn't say anything. She just kind of shrunk down even a little more uh, into her chair. She was really, really, really hoping they would just not notice her and it would kind of go by her and she could, you know, remain invisible. The teacher uh, gently... Uh, moved toward her and put his chair right next to hers and just softly repeated the question to her. And still there was only silence. So the last thing he wanted to do was embarrass her, so he's going to move on. But at just that moment, she sort of sat up in her chair, <clears throat> cleared her throat, and she pulled her hair back to reveal a, a large, rather unsightly birthmark that covered most of her face there. It was bright red, about the color of her hair. And she said... Well, that should show you what I don't like about myself. And without any hesitation, that godly professor, he was moved with compassion, and he, in a grandfatherly way, just put his arm around her neck and said, that's okay, honey. And then he kissed the spot right where the mark was, and he said, God and I still think you're beautiful. There's a whole backstory that you don't know about Dorothy, which would help you understand why she just began to sob for 20 minutes or so. Those are words she'd never heard from her mom. Her mom had never so much as touched her face. All the girls in class were kind of coming around Dorothy, and speech class all of a sudden got real. (laughs) And the words that that professor spoke brought about something that began to change inside of Dorothy. We're talking uh, about... The blessing. The blessing. We introduced it a couple weeks ago, and we're talking about this idea, this powerful, powerful idea. The blessing is something we receive and are meant to receive from the significant people in our lives who help communicate to us that we're loved and we're accepted, that we're wanted and we're welcome. The blessing comes to you And you can give it to someone else when you convey, God and I think you're beautiful. God and I think you're awesome. God and I think you're worth listening to. God and I think you have something to offer the world. God and I think you're beautiful. And when you tell someone with words that they they are worthy in this way and accepted and loved, and you show it in other ways, over time it makes these deposits in a soul. It sort of 
add something into this sort of inner reservoir that every human has that's either empty or full. And when you give the blessing, it begins to fill it in a way. And a person who doesn't have it usually spends so much of their time living a kind of shriveled existence, nervously, worriedly, anxiously trying to prove to themselves and to everyone else in the world that they really are worthy of affirmation and attention and approval and affection. And so they go seek it and try to find it and to try to prove to the world that they have it, even though they don't believe it themselves. And a person who has received the blessing, by contrast, is someone who just thrives, can get closer to what Jesus calls abundant life. A person who can get outside of their own insecurities long enough once in a while to actually love God and love people and serve the world. So who needs the blessing, do you suppose? Everybody needs a blessing, right? You do, I do. The person in front of you needs and desires and craves the blessing. The jerk at work needs the blessing, right? Everybody wants the blessing. And God's design is that everyone would receive the blessing. And the primary front line of distribution for the blessing by God's design would be parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and siblings and friends and, and neighbors and, and uh, children and coaches and teachers and scoutmasters and professors of speech classes. And today we want to talk about one of the most powerful and basic and effective ways to give the blessing. We're going to talk about giving the blessing through spoken words. Because the blessing almost always is going to come most strongly when it's spoken. Words have power, don't they? To build up, as we saw with Dorothy. And they have power to tear down. Maybe you had in your, uh, in your uh, life one of those, like an Uncle Fred or a grandma who was always saying like wise, pithy, little proverbial statements, you know, like if you live by these, it'll go all right for you. Let's see how many of these you know. I'll, I'll throw out a couple. You, everybody at all campuses, kind of loudly finish the phrase if you know it, okay? You ready? Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and... Yeah, you guys know this. Very good. You're so smart. Good job. Um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the... Yeah. Who knows? Nobody knows what that means, but it's good. <laughs> Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's right. A penny saved is... Yeah, not much. <laughs> no, a penny saved is a penny earned. Very, very good. Right. Stupid is as... Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what my mama says. It's not whether you win or lose. Yeah, yeah I hate that one. It's actually wrong because it... It really does matter, but <laughs> you can play the game wherever you want, but we all know it's more fun when you win. How about this one? Um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I remember when I taught that to my son, Andrew, who was about five years old at the time, and he said, but dad, words can hurt your feelings. He had figured something out that we all already know about the power of words. Words words can destroy a friendship. Words can cripple a marriage and wreck a home and make a workplace toxic, right? Wound a child's spirit. You can't always see the impact on the outside, like a bone that you can set. It'll, it'll heal, but... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words sometimes they can hurt forever. 
So I love the truth of Proverbs 18.21, which just nails it. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And you're like, well, that's overstating. It's like, no, it's not. In your mouth, in the center of your face, you have the power of life and death. We really do. I can remember words of affirmation and specific praise that my dad gave me when I was probably seven years old. And I've weighed those words and thought about them my whole life. Here I am, 32, and <laughs> I've thought about them my whole life and wondered, you know, maybe he was right. And I also remember what Jan Anderson said. She was a sixth grader. I was only a second grader. She called me a big show-off and a couple other nasty words. I'm still a little salty about that. <laughs> and I can remember... Words that Carla sometimes will speak to me, they feel like steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. I'm like, I'm that, I'm the guy, I'm respected, I'm supported, I'm loved. Mark Twain said that I can survive two weeks on one good compliment. I'm kind of with him on that. Of course, I like him a little more often than that. I've told you many times, I have a rainy day file. And when when I feel like there's a God-ordained kind of well-timed encouraging spoken word that's given to me. I print that sucker out, or I keep it, or I write it down. I stick it in the file, and I'll go to that rainy day file on the rainy days of life and ministry when I need it to kind of get over my pity party or brighten my perspective or end my discouragement. My wife will tell you that words can build her up and make her feel stronger and willing to take chances and explore her gifts and and sort of flourish in life, or they can make her feel small and dumb and weak and insignificant. But I want us to remember today is that each of us is capable and called to give the blessing to the people that God has placed in your life. And that part of the way we do that is by what and when and how you speak words of blessing. And I I, I am imagining I'm probably not going to tell anyone anything that you don't already know today. But I do hope to convince all of us, including myself, to be better about putting into action the truth that the blessing is so vital and that the words we speak are a big, big part of it and that we'll just get better at doing it. Because, as the Bible would say, all the way through, there's a principle at work. There is power in spoken words. There's power in spoken words. Think about it. How did God create at the beginning of time? You've got a formless, empty mass of nothing and void, and then God says these, he, 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 he creates this beautiful world out of it. There's beauty and there's, there's life, and how did it happen? God spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light and beauty. God's words have life and power to bring something out of nothing. And when you, when you intentionally speak words of blessing over someone, you are creating a world for them. You're creating something beautiful that didn't exist. You speak into the formless, empty heart of a child words of powerful blessing. You are creating a world for them. When you look in your wife's eyes and you tell her, I'm proud of you and I love you, you might as well have said, let there be light because you will see light in her eyes that wasn't there before because of the power of words. 
Words matter, and so God has always used words to communicate blessing to us. So when you go to the scriptures, you see this concept of blessing over and over again, and words are always at the center of it. God, through speaking, gives blessing to Abraham. Genesis 12, I bless you, Abraham. He speaks over him, and then he calls him to be a blessing. And Abraham, in turn, then speaks blessing over his son, Isaac. And Isaac, in turn, speaks blessing on his son, Jacob, and then Jacob in turn speaks beautiful, powerful blessing on his 12 sons and his grandkids to boot. And you see these powerful moments in Scripture over and over again where the patriarch gathers and gets the right time and lays hands on and, and sort of confers this blessing and there's, talks about the inheritance and the future and the trajectory of their family. And some of it in the Bible actually has a kind of prophetic power to it. God visits the blessing in the Bible and there's almost a predictive element involved in the blessing there. I mean, I could give you dozens of examples. I'll just give you one. When Jacob blessed his kids, one of them was Judah. And the specific blessing there said that kings will come from your, from your family, from your line. And that one day, eventually, the king of all kings would come from your line. Well, has anyone heard of the tribe of Judah? From which came King David, the greatest king in Israel, and from which came also Jesus Christ? the king of kings, exactly as the blessing said, a reminder that blessings don't just feel good in the moment, they sort of build something into the future. And today, blessing is just as significant and important. And while God doesn't always use them in the same prophetic, predictive way, and no longer is it just the patriarch who gathers the oldest son to confer the blessing, now because of Jesus Christ and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, we are all recipients of the blessing through Christ, and every one of us is capable and called to be blessing givers to others. Every one of us. And you have people around you in your life who desperately need the blessing. And words have the power of life and death in them. The book of James in the Bible does a great job of reminding us how significant our words are. It talks about the tongue. You know, the tongue is a funny thing. You don't, don't look at the tongue too long. It starts getting weird after a while. Like, like look at it. It's just weird. Some of, you know, ever, ever seen a cow tongue? Like, pull that thing out. You ever want to eat cow tongue? Stop talking about tongues. It just gets weird. But in, in your face, you've got this little thing, and it's very small, but it has huge power. That's what James is trying to teach us in the Bible. James chapter 3, it's exactly his point. In fact, he says in verse 3, he says, the tongue is like the bit in a horse's mouth. You've got this big, strapping, strong beast with all this muscles, but that tiny little bit, which I'm going to show you right now, Right here, it's just a little bit. And that beast will charge forward and tackle the world or it will stop in its tracks based on the tiny little bit, tongues like that. People will feel like they can do anything or feel like they can't do anything based on what has been said to them. He goes on to say in verse 4, he gives another picture. He says, the tongue is like a small rudder on a big ship. You know, big old ship, but this tiny little rudder in the back end that seems out of sight and no one hardly even notices, but it can change the direction of that ship. And so words have that power. This is why I love the movie The Help. There's that amazing woman, Abilene, in that film. She's the help, not just because she helps around the house, but she's the help because she's the help to a little girl whose own mother 
is too caught up in her own snobbery and country club life to pay attention to her own daughter. And Abilene just pours life-giving words into that little girl. You probably know the clip I want to show you. Watch this. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is smart. You is kind. You is important. That's so good. Ah, that is so good, isn't it? Abilene put a little rudder on the back of that little girl's life. And when she's out lost at sea in the future trying to figure out what her mother didn't give her, she's going to have a rudder and be able to have her direction go where it needs to go because of the blessing that came from Abilene. Words are extremely positive and powerful in that way, right? But James goes on to point out what we've already noted amongst ourselves and we feel in our own spirit, and that words also sometimes have power in the negative sense. There is power in negative words as well. And he speaks of that in the next verses. Verses 5 and 6, he compares it to a forest fire set how? How did that huge fire tearing down all those houses or, or trees, how did that happen? started with a tiny little spark. That's how the tongue is. The tongue is like a fire, and it, and it compares it to a world of evil. And it says, like, of all the body parts you have, it's the one part that probably comes from hell sometimes. Like, ever been in your kitchen and you thought, well, I don't know where those words came from, but I don't think it was heaven. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, because sometimes it feels like we got the tongue from hell coming out of our mouths can be destructive. If you don't believe that, just ask a child who was told, well, you're not smart enough to be in that reading group. You go over there with the slow kids. Or someone who was told you were fat or ugly as a kid. Or, oh, you're just as pathetic as your old man. You'll never amount to anything. Many of us know firsthand what that's like. It's powerful as well. Jim Burns, who's a student ministry specialist says, it takes, for every critical comment we receive, nine affirming comments to even out the negative impact in our life. Now, I don't know about the science of all that, but I do think that if we really believed it were true and tried to get our ratio about nine to one, we'd have a lot more blessing going on, wouldn't we? All right, I'm going to keep you on your toes this weekend here. Maybe you heard about the adventurer who was captured by primitive cannibals. Did you hear this? True story. They tied him to a stake, and every so often they'd poke him, and then they'd drink his blood. He finally calls the chief over, and he says, Listen, if you're going to eat me, eat me, but I'm tired of getting stuck for the drinks. <laughs> I'm sorry if you felt that was in bad taste. Where am I going with this, other than waking you up? We tend to cannibalize each other with our words. The Bible even talks about devouring one another sometimes. Why is it that we do that? The ones we love and live with sometimes. Poke, 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 poke. And it just drains the life out of us. Why do we do that? Isn't it astounding? Sometimes I'll catch myself talking to my own wife in a way that if I did that in a professional environment at work, it would be considered rude or I'd get written up. What's up with that? Anyone else like that? You sometimes use up all your kindness energy, all your patience at work. You come home and take it out on the family. 
This is sometimes the only reason I would recommend getting a cat, actually. <laughs> you mean, you know, it's something to take your frustrations out and speak cruel things to the cat. He, he doesn't care, trust me. We all need encouragement. We're just built that way. We all need it. Because there's nothing like encouragement to give a breath of fresh air. Am I right? And the word encouragement literally means to put courage into somebody. So like we, we need courage. Courage makes us bold to do things that are scary and hard. And words can actually put courage in someone so they're ready to go do it. Like that horse charging out of the stall. That's why I love 1 Thessalonians 5 says, encourage one another. This isn't like, oh, be nice, you know, if you get around to it. This is a biblical command. You want to be a Christian? Guess what? You just got commanded to encourage one another. And build each other up. We all know there's enough out there tearing everybody down. So somehow we've got to be distinctive in building each other up. And then I love it says, just as in fact you are doing. In other words, they were already doing it, but they didn't say, well, I'm already doing it. He's like, keep doing it. Keep doing it. You don't stop. You just keep going. It's a lifestyle of encouragement. Now, what's true about the power of negative words, we have to also remember that as damaging as they can be, Sometimes it's the wonderful, life-giving, positive words that are never spoken that are just as damaging. There's power in the absence of words. Some, sometimes I hear somebody say, well, I don't know, I love my kids. Yeah, they already know it. They should know it. I take them on vacation. I attend them to school. I uh, buy their food. I, you know, I shouldn't have to tell them. I, I tell them every day. Except that the absence of words sometimes sends a message we don't intend. I'll keep you on your toes here today. The guy, there was a guy who told me, he says, I was attacked by a gang of mimes last night, and they did unspeakable things to me. <laughs> Stay with me. This is better humor than some of you seem to appreciate. <laughs> can I just say, though, the blessing is not something that can be unspeakable. It can't be unspoken. It's got at some point to be, mimes don't make good blessers in the end, Okay. Proverbs 3 puts it this way. Don't withhold the good from those who deserve it. It's in your power to act. You've got the tongue in your face now. Don't come back and say, well, I'll do it later. I'll come back tomorrow or something like that. No, you've got the people and the will. Do it now. Sometimes parents give their kids over to be raised by a babysitter named Silence. And in that silence, it's, it molds a child's self-perception, and it's not doing what you think. It leaves a child like Esau longing for words that are sometimes rarely or never spoken. Friends, when it comes to the blessing, silence is not golden. In the mind of a child or a spouse or a friend, sometimes that silence speaks more than even negative words do. So one thing I think a lot of uh, parents sometimes trip up with this is, is like, the reason they can't get around, they're waiting for the perfect moment. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be the perfect Hallmark movie moment. And I'm just going to tell them how I feel and say what I think and really just, you know, bless them and love them or whatever. And it's like the, the time never comes. So you get a father squirming in the car as he's driving his son to college. He's trying to find, when is this going to happen? Am I getting in the dorm room or whatever? And it just never, there's never a time. It's never perfect. Or the mother who's going to tell her daughter on the wedding day and they're in the back room and, they, you know, and then the photographer whistles her away and it's, it's like, it never comes. So don't withhold. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. I'm just coming off the funeral for Amy Caprio. We stood right here a couple of days ago for this 29-year-old young woman who's gone. 
And I got home from that funeral, and I gave my daughter a hug, and I told her some words of blessing because we think more clearly sometimes, and that's what the Bible is trying to get us all to do is think more clearly and remember that the absence of our words is a mistake. And counselors will tell you that in the absence of words of affirmation, praise, encouragement, and worth that's conveyed, in the absence of those words, most of us tend to do one of two things. We tend to become these massive overachievers who cling to that one or two time we got praise, and it felt so good, we're going to do anything to do it again and hear it again. And are up until the time we're, we're getting BMWs in corner offices trying in a frantic effort to prove to our parents or ourselves or the world that we really are someone even though we deep down don't believe it. Or, in the absence of praise, we go the other direction and we just withdraw because that's a game I don't want to play. I don't want to lose, so I just want to become invisible and don't assert myself in life at all. Silence isn't golden. And I know some paper are like, you know, I don't know, you're talking about saying these things to my kids, but I don't want my kids to get a big head. Well, I agree. There's nothing that bugs me more than a cocky, puffed-up kid. I get that. Kids do need to learn humility. I get that. But listen, can I just remind us? The way you teach humility is not by withholding affirmation, praise, and the blessing. That's not how it works at all. In fact, if you want to teach the proper balance of humility and pride in a person's life, you give them inner strength that only comes from the blessing. That's how you do it. You can always work in humility, take a kid down a notch or two. That ain't hard. Life does that. But it's impossible sometimes or feels that way to build up a person whose inner reservoir is empty because they've spent their life not believing they're worth it. I know there's a lot to overcome here. We got reasons why this is hard. I'm not good with words. I don't know what to say. My parents didn't do this for me. There never seems to be a good time. Or they know I love them, I show them in other ways. And there's all these reasons. And we have to admit that how our dad treated our mom or how our mom spoke to the kids or whatever, are those like they become ingrained as sort of default modes for us, right? Like they're the kind of way we think is normal. And one of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome is sometimes what I call unspoken family rules. Every family has unspoken rules, right? Like the sort of official but unofficial way that things happen. When you open Christmas presents, okay? What things you talk about and don't talk about. Every family has those kind of rules. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then what you're saying is, I'm not going to bring a little Jesus on the side and keep him over here, but basically, my family determines who I am. No. You bring Jesus in, and you hold every thought captive. You let every single thing in your family come through the lens and the freeing power of Jesus Christ. Leave no family rule unexamined. And the ones that are beautiful, keep them, cling to them. And the ones that stink, get rid of them. Because otherwise, you'll only have a little Jesus on the side, but never experience what the Bible's talking about. When it says you can become a new creature in Jesus Christ, you can become transformed by the renewing of your mind, a mind that was shaped by certain family rules that sometimes were beautiful and sometimes were horrific and dumb and terrible. Those of us who grew up in families where, where there was just stuff that was bad, examine it. And if it's bad, it needs to go. 
Cheryl, her family was ruled by a rigid father who, whose motto was never give an inch. He was stubborn and he believed in standing up and fighting for himself. In fact, in the, in the kitchen, he had a plaque on the wall that said, stand up. And that's what he did. That's what he taught his kids to do, to stand up and fight. And they did. All of them at the same time with each other. You can imagine what the dinner table was like in that family when they finally, when all the kids got up to middle school and high school, right? I mean, every night was a war zone. Death before saying, I'm sorry. Fight for my rights. Never back down. Raise your voice. No holds barred. Go for the juggler. Win at all costs. That was the family rule. But then Cheryl became a Christian. And she began to change some of the family rules, at least for herself, by introducing new words of blessing into that toxic mixture. She was very intentional about it. And when she did, the rest of the family, it's like she was speaking French. They were like, what are you doing? It was a completely different language. She was breaking all the family rules. She would end an argument by calmly saying, you might be right. I'll have to think about that. They're like, what? You're doing it wrong. Punch me back. <laughs> she forgave people. She said, oh, I just love you, Mom. And jaws dropped. And even made fun of her a little bit. But Cheryl's younger sister was so taken with Cheryl's changed life and was so blessed that Cheryl was really listening to her without her having to fight for every inch to be heard that it drew her and eventually she trusted Christ as her own Lord and Savior. And then Cheryl's brother followed suit and the plaque on the wall was beginning to shake until one Christmas Eve, shortly after Cheryl's own father had decided to give his own life to Christ, he went and he took the plaque down. Because God has the power to break even the most powerful family rules. Some of, us here to need, some of us here just need to say, I'm going to break some stupid family rules that we have. If you grew up in silence, you grew up with verbal abuse, you had a critical, nagging household game that everybody seemed to play, you can be the one that says it stops here, and my mouth, my tongue is going to be one that gives life instead of death. Instead of curse, bless. I want to just leave you with some practical stuff. Because this is where it gets down, you know, this is where the tongue hits the road. I'm going to give you just a couple of quick ways and then some words. Okay? So first, some ways. I mean, we just have to work it into our lives and get around to doing it. Here's some quick ways. One, special occasions. Don't miss the opportunity that special occasions bring. So the graduation is a great example, right? Graduation. Don't just give them a card and stick a gift card in there. You know, take five minutes and write some specific life-giving blessing words of encouragement in that card or speak over them or send them a note or something like that. That's, that's a great example. Or, or birthdays. Bless people on their birthdays. It's a special occasion. It's there. Don't miss the opportunity. Our family, that means we get around the table and we have a tradition. You know, we, mom and I will always we'll tell our kids about the day they were born and they came into the world and they roll their eyes like they don't want to hear it. But at the end, we always just look them in the eye and we just say, we're so glad you came. You're, you're, you're a beautiful blessing to this world and to our family. And we love you. We're proud of you. And can't wait to see what God does in your life. We pray for you every day. God bless you. I don't want to miss that moment. And then we get silly and goof off and all that. But what other moments like that? For us, uh, Thanksgiving. 
We don't just thank God for the air and the sky and the birds. You know, we're going to thank God for each other and name some things about that. So those are some things, special occasions. Or you could also invent some special occasions, and I've done this many times. So, for example, I've led a lot of small groups. I've been part of many groups here at Mountain, and almost every one of them is going to end around a campfire. And I have a stick, and we call it the affirmation stick, and we hand the stick to each guy and say, now everybody say three things that you appreciate, admire, respect about what that guy's doing right right now. I got an email this week from a guy saying that night, five years ago, around that campfire, put something in me, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Invent something. I've told you in the past about um, the kind of rite of passage event, the blessing event that we've created for our kids. When our kids were 13, we gathered together for my sons, some men that could speak into their life, and we just spoke words of blessing, encouragement, and specific power over them. Do the same thing for my daughter. If you want some help on that, email us and we'll give you some ideas on it. All right, so special occasions. Invent special occasions. Or just don't forget the daily, everydayness. This is where the blessings flow out of our mouths. Daily moments. Like when you're getting ready to send your kids out the door to school, what words will you choose intentionally to say to them? Make it a ritual. When you make it a ritual, then it's like easier. You don't have to sort of work up your gumption. It's just like it's what we say. Every time we get around the dinner table, this is how we pray. Or this is what we say at bedtime. Or... This is how we end our phone conversations. Just ritualize it. Make it beautiful. All right, those are some ways. Let's talk now in closing about some of the words. Because it seems like finding words is harder than it should be for us. So I realize there are some words that are very hard to say, hard to pronounce. Uh, Let me show you a couple words, and let's get some practice here, okay? Everybody clear your throat? You ready to go? I'm going to put a word on the screen. When you see it, you say it. Ready? What is it? Yeah, that was pretty bad. If, if, mus, is, you don't even know what, you don't even know what it is or how to say it. If, is, if, must. Let's go on to the next one. How about this one? Yeah, any enemies? Any M&Ms? Whatever. Next one. You don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying. All right, I'm going to give you some more words now that seem to be incredibly difficult to pronounce, and I'm going to encourage all of us to say them together. These will also now, now seriously now, I'm going to put some words on the screen, and for some of you, it'll be the first time you've ever tried to pronounce some of these words. So clear your throat, everybody. Sit up, straighten your chair, take a deep breath. Ready? All campuses with me now. Ready? This is big. Ready? First one. Let's see it. Wait, wait, wait. Let's say it together, because this is going to be the first time for some of you. Ready? One, two, three. I'm sorry. Anybody having a stroke? Breaking out? Some of you are like, I just heard my person next to me say something I've never heard him say before. Let's try another one. Let's go on. Wow. Did you know our mouths could form these words? What an interesting thing. One more. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Some of you are like, wow, that was hard. I'm exhausted. These are words that communicate, this relationship is important to me because you're important to me. And I want to do my part to build this bridge back. Jesus says this is so important. I don't care. Jesus basically says this in Matthew. He says, I don't care what you're doing. You can be at the altar worshiping God, and if you come with something that you realize is not right with your brother, you stop right then, and you go, and you make it right right then. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? These are the words of strength. And when you do that, it gives blessing. Some of you, yeah, we struggle with this. I can remember some days driving a kid to school in stony silence. 
And I remember some unpleasant days where it ended with the car door slamming and off they go. And I remember other days when it ended when somebody said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? One has a way of giving the blessing more than the other, doesn't it? Some of you are like, well, it wasn't my fault. And I would just say, get over yourself. Nobody on their deathbed cares how many arguments you won. All right, let's try a second cluster of words. You're doing great. You're doing great. (sighs) Loosen up. You ready? We can do this. You're doing great, guys. Let's try this one. Thank you. Boy, that rolled right off your tongue like you were good at it. Next one. I appreciate you. You are going to be so good at this. Next one. I'm proud of you. These are words that convey value to someone because they notice what someone is and does and what they contribute. It's a way of forcing ourselves to get out of our own self-absorbed world, wishing someone would appreciate us and thank us and tell us they're proud of us, and instead just to sort of put our focus, as Jesus says, on others so that we can thank them. The Bible actually says, Husbands need to be respected. Wives, respect your husbands. It's in the Bible. So there you go. Instead of just, you know, thank you for paying the bills. Thank you for mowing. Thank you. Instead of, you know, it's about time you took the garbage out. The flies were ready to take it out. You know, you you can find some way, as one writer said, find the good and applaud. Women love to be loved and noticed and appreciated. Women, in fact, wives, those who are married, Ephesians 5 in that same verse says, husbands, love your wives, especially, I would say, those who are homemakers who don't have the added societal applause of income and marketplace markers. Make sure they know. Sometimes I'll say to Carla, get over here, look at the dresser. Look at this dresser drawer. Come over here quick. And she'll come running over, and then I'll say, look, there's a whole bunch of clean socks and underwear in here. It's a magic dresser. Thank you. She's like, oh, she hates it, but she loves it. Thank you for recording all those checks. Thank you for doing our taxes. Thank you for noticing. Thank you for taking the garbage out. Hey, kids, this was a great dinner. Your mom should be on HGTV. This was amazing. Look at the lawn. Your dad just did the edging there. This place should be on the cover of a magazine. He used to line my daughter up and say, of all the kindergartners in the world, if I could line every one of them up, I'd pick you every time. Aw, she'd say, aw. Just like you're saying, aw. But it's good. It's good. Find the good and then applaud. There was a guy who had a habit of taking his daughter out for a breakfast, his five-year-old daughter. Well, his two-year-old daughter, he figured it's about time. Take him out for breakfast, and he did this little blessing thing for them, the little daddy-daughter date. Takes the two-year-old out, sitting down, and he, and he figures, well, now's a good time. He says, Jenny, I just want you to know that your mom and I prayed for you many years, and we're so glad that you finally came, and we just are so proud of you. You're becoming such a big girl, and we love you so much, and I just wanted to tell you that today. So he starts to cut his pancake. He starts to get it up. He never gets it to his mouth. A little hand comes across the table, puts his hand down. She says, longer, Daddy. (laughs) So he says some more things that he loves and appreciates and is proud of about his daughter. Tries to eat again. Longer, Daddy. Three and then four and five times. So he didn't get much eating done. But that little girl feasted, didn't she? She feasted. And she went later and she told her mommy... Mommy, I'm really important. Daddy told me. Proud of you. I love you. I appreciate you. Can I give you one more word? How about three of them? They work great in sequence. Here they are. I love you. If you've got it in your mind, 
It's from God because love is from God. That means it's in your mouth. Get it out while you have time. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. And we come to you as people whose cups are, often we feel, not full. We struggle with the blessing we did or didn't receive. But in these moments, will you just make us full enough of the love of Jesus so that we might be a blessing to someone else with the words we speak? Help us to create new worlds. Through the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen.